I'm Steve Fisher. Megan Smolignac Smolignac, and yes, that's her real name, loves solving mysteries. From the backgrounds of celebrities such as the Obamas, Katy Perry, and LeBron James, to name a few, to the identities of soldiers lost in war and other cold cases. She's appeared on many TV shows and written books, such as Hey America, Your Roots Are Showing. She's a genealogical adventurer, and she's my guest on Life Slices. We're here today with Megan Smolignac. Is that the correct pronunciation? You said it exactly right. Yep. But but with your name, it's Smolignac Smolignac. Yes. Why is it? Smolignac times two, and give us a short history of yourself. <laughs> well, okay, it's Smolignac times two because I am a Smolignac by birth and by marriage. So, uh, and yes, as you might have guessed, I met my husband through genealogy. But no, in spite of my best efforts, I failed to marry my cousin. We know this from <laughs> DNA. We know this from DNA testing. We both had roots in the same tiny village in Slovakia. Uh, but any connection we have is at least 300 years ago because uh, we just don't show up as cousins in autosomal testing. So just kind of a fluke, but very convenient. And I'm really happy that I found a guy who spells it the same way I do. So we have lots you, of you don't have to change the towels. The towels no, I didn't have to same. change anything. It was great. So. But the fact that you're not actually related uh, bars you from moving to the Ozarks. Well, I mean, actually, we were just having discussion online about this today. Um, People don't realize we're pretty much all married to kissing cousins. It's, it's, you know, if you go back far enough, we all come from tiny little villages. Your, your marriage pool was pretty small. So we end up being cousins. It's just a matter of how far back you have to go until you've got some kissing cousins in your family tree. So you are, <laughs> that, that's a little frightening. I, I think a lot of people out there are going to be scrambling now to do There's a little last to... reality right out the gate. <laughs> Sorry, dear. I have to divorce you. You're my sister. <laughs> What is, on your website, it calls you a genealogical adventurer. What is a genealogical adventurer? I mean, I just get to get involved in all sorts of fun things. When people hear that you're a genealogist, they they always go to the same assumption that you do family trees for customers, right? You do family histories. But I've played in all sorts of playgrounds. I've worked on lots of TV shows. I've helped lots of journalists chase down stories. Um, I've worked with the Army for 20 years, uh, helping identify the soldiers who are still missing from, you know, mostly from Korea, World War II, but occasionally Southeast Asia and World War One. So I've gotten to do all sorts of really fun things. I mean, basically, every day I get to wake up and play history detective. So, you know, it's not what a lot of people think in terms of I'm just looking what's for so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. So you're not uh, actually going to locations to identify bodies and uh, oh, you, no. you get results and then you research yeah. from there. For example, with the Army, what I do is I have to find the soldiers primary and secondary next to Kim, but I also have to find a few paternal and maternal relatives for those who understand DNA, mitochondrial uh, relatives who share his mitochondrial DNA and relatives who share his Y DNA. And they use the DNA testing reference samples from the relatives to identify the remains that they excavate and recover. How does one get into this line of work? What inspired you to get into it? I mean, I've been a genealogist since the sixth grade. Um, and I had a whole first career. I'm still, I still sometimes refer to myself as a recovering management consultant. 
But I reached a point where I was averaging nine months a year out of the country, which was a lot of fun. I got to see the world, but I, I, it was hard to have a regular life, like in the little gas with suitcases, you know. Uh, and so I decided to change careers. Um, and I just had really good timing. I decided to go to genealogy because it was my first love. And it was uh, around 1999, 2000. And it was just when genealogy was starting to open up more broadly. Back until then, it had been a pretty sleepy enterprise. And so I had superlative timing. And so my very first assignment, actually, I was uh, the lead researcher for a PBS series called Ancestors. That was the first thing I did right out the gate. Who was the uh, client? Do you recall who that very first person was? Oh, well, I, I mean, that was PBS, was the client. Um, because oh, okay. they, yeah, they commissioned this whole series. And then um, I found so many stories for the series. This is back when series were 13 episodes, right? I found so many stories that I said, hey, would you mind if I did a book with some of these other stories? Uh, and the way it works is you have to get all the way to Bound Galley stage before PBS decides if they want it or not. But I managed to get myself an agent, managed to get a book deal, managed to, and it, it, it jumped through all the hoops. And so my very first book was a companion to that first TV series I worked on. Uh, and then I was out on a book tour for that book, and I was in D.C. I used to live in Washington, D.C., and the colonel who was running the army project happened to come into the store. And so that's how I wound up. They were trying on genealogists for size for that. So it, my career has been very serendipitous. I, I have a good habit of being in the right place at the right time. That's pretty good. I, how do you, if you could bottle that, you could make a I fortune. Know, on it. I know. When people ask me how to become a professional genealogist, I always tell them I'm the worst person to ask because my career has been anything but traditional. And who was the very first person you had to look into? and track their background? Oh, I mean, it probably would have been soldiers, you know. Um, and in the early days, in the very beginning of the Army work, we were doing mostly Korean War cases. And so that would have been my first, let's say, professional work, uh, aside from that TV show I worked on. And that was more, the TV show was more finding genealogical stories, right? Uh, but in terms of individuals, it would have been my work for the Army. And now I've been at it so long. I've I've researched over sixteen hundred soldiers. So wow. Now, yeah. in, in addition to your PBS work, uh, who tends to need or want your services? Um, Aside from know, the military, I, I know they they yeah. have to track down people. I mean, I mostly work on projects that catch my attention, or I decide to write a book, or I've been I've worked on about twenty different TV shows. Um, so it's it's a matter of what sounds fun to me, quite frankly, you know. Um, and it's it's not that hard to tempt me because it's it's hard for a good genealogist to resist, you know, any kind of history mystery. Uh, and so, for example, journalists come to me all the time with, "Hey, we're stuck on this. Can you help with them?" Like, sure, let me see. Um, and so it's just um, it's a matter of what comes my way and and how much time I have. I do a little bit of private client work, but that is the exception. That is the exception. I really don't have much time for that. So so you alluded to this before, but is there any such thing as a purebred human? Oh, no. We're, and, I mean, how boring it would be if, it were, if there were, you know? No, we're, we're, we're all mishmashes, and I think that's what makes it fun, you know? In fact, it's funny, with, with DNA testing, the people who are most dissatisfied with the results are the ones who do turn out to be 100% something. 
you know, that's boring to them. Everybody wants to have something more interesting than that, you yeah. know? And, and these days, many people have something way more interesting than that. So. I know. I did mine, and I think I came out 97% Eastern European, and I was just livid because I said, <laughs> no, I, I, I want to be more than just Eastern European. And then I did notice that I was 0.08 Neanderthal, and I, well, oh, yeah, 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 that, that, which a lot of people said, well, that explains a lot. Yeah, yeah. No, I can relate because I'm a half and half. You know, my, my my mom's side of the family is Irish. My father's side was Slavic. So I come out usually, you know, they might break it up a little bit differently, but usually about half and half. And by today's standards, that's just so tedious. You know, that's that's just boring. What are some things that usually surprise people when they search their roots, other than that they might be 100% one thing or another? Oh, well, I'll tell you what. Um I would have to say, well, even before DNA, but DNA has, let's say, exacerbated the whole, you can't take your secrets to the grave aspect of it, uh, because people find surprises all the time. I'll, I'll give you, for instance, actually, autosomal testing is the kind that most people do these days. It only came into, it would only became available from the commercial market at the tail end of 2007. And I was a beta tester for one of the companies, 23andMe, and... Because it was brand new and because I speak and write on it and stuff, I, I tested the tester. And I didn't tell them this, right? Um, they gave me a reduced rate, so I was able to test multiple people, even though it was very expensive back then. And I engineered this little experiment to to test, like when it says, okay, your second cousins, is that what really is true, right? I But I did all sorts of different combinations of people so I could test all levels of, of relationships. And because I was so clever, I accidentally discovered that my dad's only brother was really his half-brother. Oh. That they shared, yes. So I was their very first surprise, family surprise. And I had to explain to 23andMe how their testing had revealed that to me. And now anybody listening who's you know, got a genetic genealogy background, they all have stories like that. That has happened in every family's got some sort of whoopsie, you know, something that people didn't know about. Yeah. And the DNA testing just makes it really easy to figure that out. So it also can create interesting family dynamics. I had a friend who who did it and unbeknownst to him, his mother pulled him aside before the results came back and said, uh, there's something I have to tell you. And it was your father is not your father. But I mean, here's a man in his 40s who who never knew that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's actually surprising. Now, it's because I live in this world that maybe it feels so commonplace to it, maybe not in the wider world. But it, it there are so, so many stories like that. So many families. You think about it, even within our lifetimes, it, it used to be you kept adoptions quiet. You used to much less, you know, oh, this, the, the oldest child was born out of wedlock, quote unquote, that kind of thing. So what previous generations thought needed to be buttoned up and kept secret, not a big deal to us today. But that stuff that was still kind of being kept quiet, that's really easy. That's right on the surface when you do, you know, just plain old autosomal testing because you usually, you know, somebody goes in, takes one of these tests innocently and then wakes up one day and finds out they have a surprise half-sibling they didn't know about. That's how they find out, you know. Well, that can be fun. How many people do you know who actually will do a 23andMe or an Ancestry.com thing and actually reach out and make new relatives out of it? Oh, sure. That's pretty common. The thing is, if you're doing the reaching out, though, you have to let other people respond the way they want to. You can't force it. 
and you can't uh, lean on them to respond to you at all. And if they do, you have to give them their sweet time because this is a new reality for them. If you're the one taking the test, let's say you're the instigator, so to speak, you're probably more receptive to surprises. They're just sitting over there not expecting this, right? So the thing is just to be really considerate. And and you have to realize that some people just want to keep those those secrets buttoned up, right? And mm-hmm. so, you know, that's the main thing is just to be considerate of the others. Sometimes it turns out great and people are giddy to find these half-siblings and, and they become instant siblings and it's like, well, we're so much alike even though we didn't grow up and all that kind of thing. And sometimes not so much. So you just have to be flexible. How reliable are these tests? I mean, a lot of us depend on them now, or at least uh, choose to use them. It's not mandatory. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how much can we depend on the results we get? Oh, they're very reliable, um, especially when you're dealing with close relationships. Where it gets a little tricky is where you're going further afield, the more generations you go back. Um, and, you know, you have to have the right combinations of people testing to be sure about your conclusions, that kind of thing. But when you're talking about things like half-siblings or whatever, the testing is just, you know, it's, it's very clear. Um, it, I think, if anything, you need to be more worried about interpretation especially for mysteries, like if you're trying to solve a history mystery from a hundred years ago, uh, you could misinterpret the data, you know? So that's where you want to, if you read a newspaper article where it doesn't seem that if they've been vague about how they've explained it, you know, how they've connected the dots, maybe think twice, but in general, this, the testing itself is very reliable. Yeah. So if I see, get a, one of these reports, I get on a monthly basis, that here are your new DNA relatives, and it says that I've got a a fifth cousin twice removed or from my second set of great-grandparents, can I expect that they actually are related in some way? Well, I think all the, the testing companies now have been very good. They've gotten very good about telling you, um, hey, it's not a fifth cousin, you know, twice removed. What they'll do is they'll say, okay, with this percent, here's uh, your overlap and Actually, there's there's tools even outside of the company where you can just put in, okay, we, we shared uh, X number, you know, 130 centimorgans, whatever it is, and you can see the different possibilities. Oh, maybe your second cousin's twice removed, or maybe your third cousin's, or maybe, so you'll see, you'll get like a menu of what's possible. And so what you have to do is blend the genealogy, the traditional genealogy, with the genetic and try to find the correct answer. It's really interesting. I, the, uh, I, I know a lot of us grew up, and at some point in our lives, we had an assignment at school to go home mm-hmm. and interview a relative or something like that, and or you look back on your family tree. My parents never seemed to know anything. It's like, oh, we, we don't know. You know, we knew your great-grandparents, but that was it. Beyond that, we don't know. I have an uncle who told me that we were descended from Benjamin Disraeli. The, the uh, great British prime minister. It's mm-hmm. how do you, and, and then of course other people say, yeah, do you have any proof? And go, no, I have no proof. It's just family lore. How do we determine if our family lore is true? You know, I started out the same way because it was a sixth grade homework assignment that got me started. It's all Mrs. Berkowitz's fault that I do this. <laughs> <laughs> and same thing happened to me. We had to go home and find out where our surname was from, what country. And my dad misinformed me because all four of his grandparents were immigrants, right? Um, but he was one of those ones that was just in a hurry to be as American as, as possible, right? And so he told us, and this makes sense when your name is Smolenyak, that we were from Smolensk in what was then the Soviet Union. 
And so the next day we went back to school and I remember feeling sorry for all my classmates uh, who had roots in the British Isles because they were all crowded around the British Isles and I had the whole of the then Soviet Union to myself. <laughs> and that's, that's, and I had been an army brat, so I'd grown up in a very multicultural environment. So that was the first time I realized that there was something kind of strange about my name, a little bit different. And, you know, that's what got me started. But, and this was back in the snail mail days to find out the truth. I had to start from scratch and you just start with yourself and you work back to your parents and your grandparents and you follow the paper trail. And so I pieced out that, for example, our small necks actually came from a village that's in present day Slovakia, you know, so, and it's a village called Osternia, which I learned by getting a hold of a great grandfather's uh, naturalization record. Nowadays I could get it online, but back then I had to do it, you know, the old fashioned way, step by step. So it was actually a revelation for my father, even though he grew up with the immigrants himself. <laughs> so they just didn't talk about it, you know? So. Well, I know this is this is the second time we're speaking. We have spoken before. Mm -hmm. And you found out a piece of my family history that I didn't know about. I thought that I had ancestors in Russia, Poland, and the UK. And you said that I actually had a grandfather, or a great-grandfather, I should say, uh, from a little town in Lithuania, which at the time was part of Germany. And I never thought I had any German connections. I, I always thought it was all eastern, way, farther yeah. east. And uh, you set me straight on that. But I think that's the most fun is the surprises, mm -hmm. learning the bits and pieces you didn't know, you know. I mean, if if everybody just did all this research and they just learned what they already thought they knew, what they were expecting, well, that's not very exciting, right? right. It's really because when people, they take their baby steps, and now these days it's much easier to go much further, much faster, right? And so you get that first surprise, and that's all it takes to get you addicted because then you're like, oh, what else? What else didn't I know? <laughs> you know? And go looking for that next thing. Well, I'll sit here when I'm watching a TV show or a movie or something, and I've got IMDb, and I'm going through, and I'm looking up actors on it. And whenever I find an actor that I like who's British and has a Jewish background, I immediately assume they're a cousin. Yeah. There's a decent chance, you know, I mean, with different types of heritage, yeah, there's a decent chance. And, and of course, if you go back far enough, like every time when I see one of those news stories about, oh, two famous people are related, then you find out it's through their 20th cousins and it's from somebody. Well, it's like, yeah, you go back that far, we're all related, you know, you go back 20 generations, you, you've got over a million ancestors. Guess what? Some of them are going to be related to famous people, you know, people who are famous then or famous today, you know. And sometimes there are other races, other religions, and that, you never know that, what you're going to get. Yeah, well, and that's the DNA testing. That turns up some of that, although oftentimes, you know, it's a small percentage, so you have to maybe get tested a few times or different companies to make sure it's for real and not just kind of statistical noise. But many people today welcome that, fortunately. You know, they they think it's interesting to learn that their past is, is more mixed than they thought, knew. Unless you're in the KKK or something, and then it could be very disturbing. Well, you know, and, and I'm... I have no problems with that. <laughs> Let them be disturbed. <laughs> so. so other than home genealogy kits, like 23andMe and Ancestry.com, and how do those two differ? Because I've been told by some people that, okay, now you've gotten your 23andMe, now you have to try Ancestry. Are you going to get different information? 
It depends on what you're after. I mean, if you have a mystery you're trying to solve, you want to test in as many companies, family tree, DNA, MyHeritage, whatever, um, because you want to, if you're cousin shopping, basically, right, um, you want to be in as many pools as possible, right? And each one of the companies has their own uh, proprietary database. And there are tools you can use to kind of cross-pollinate, but really you want to be in each one of them. Like, let's say you're an adoptee and you want to try to find out your birth family. You don't know where your relatives might have tested, especially your closer living relatives. So it behooves you to test it in as many as possible. So it depends on, on what your your objective is in all of this. When somebody re- wants to do this, um, other than the DNA kits, how do they get started? I mean, it really is. I know this sounds really ridiculous in 2022, but it's the truth. You still want to start at home. Uh, you want to start looking in your drawers and closets. It's, you know, unfortunately, like many people, we've lost a couple family members during the COVID epidemic. And um, I've been surprised, even though I've been the family historian for half a century, the little bits and pieces of family history coming up to me. A picture of my great-grandmother I had never seen before, you know, just surfaced because one of my aunts passed away, you know. So you just don't know what these little tidbits are hitting. So you you start in your own home, your attics, your drawers, your basements, whatever, and then you pass to your parents if you're lucky enough to have them, or aunts or uncles, or grandparents if you're younger, so forth. And talk to any living relatives you have that are older than you, even if they're 20 minutes older and you just don't know which little snippets of family history got passed down at the different branches. Um, so find out all that stuff because, it, you know, you're going to be dealing with the element of family lore. It may not be 100% accurate, right? But it can save you so much time down the road. I mean, I'm lucky that I started so young because I actually interviewed my Nana who um, lived to 90. And what's really lucky for me is her Nana had lived to 96 and they had lived together. And because of that, you know, I grew up knowing stories about a great, great, great grandmother of mine who was born in the 1830s because I started early and asked questions, you know, mm-hmm. and it was dealing with common names in Ireland. So it really helped me like something as silly as um, she mentioned how she used to write letters to her Nana's um, sister who lived in Oregon. She'd done the Oregon trail um, because she was blind. So she wrote for her Nana, right? And she, at 90, still remembered the street address, and it turned out to be exactly right. And so I found this whole other branch of the family, and it was through them that I figured out where we were from in Ireland, because I ended up, you know, going out there and meeting somebody. Um, so these little tiny tidbits of things that sound trivial and unimportant can be the key to unlocking the doors to your past. So, yeah, the first thing is, I know everybody's instinct is to jump online, Right. Really try to discipline yourself and start at home and talk to your relatives and then jump online and start building your tree. I I do remember a time when my sister and I were going through pictures at my mother's house. My mother was still alive. And we came across this picture of this very large, not particularly attractive, austere looking woman and this Mm -hmm. little guy and found out they were great grandparents. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and it's like, oh my! We nicknamed her the Beast because she just was yeah. not a pleasant-looking person. And my mother just said how much her grandfather adored her, and even though he well, was this little bitty guy, and she was this very big woman. 
Yeah. Well, you see, you got a built-in story, too. You know, I just told you about that picture of uh, one of my great-grandmothers that just surfaced. I wrote an article about it called I Was the Only One That Knew because everybody, you know, every family has a family historian, right? And what happened is the photo bubbled up, and they're like, well, ask Megan, ask Megan. And literally, I was the only person who was live, left, um, who could recognize who that was in that photo. Because I had one other tiny little photo of hers, but it was with her face looking down and stuff. But I knew instantly who it was. Otherwise, if I weren't around, that photo would already be unidentified. And I'm not ancient yet. And that's already where my family is, you know. So it slips by very quickly. People grow up with a lot of family lore. And as I mentioned, my, my I had an uncle who told me when I was descended from Benjamin Disraeli, and my mother used to tell us how her father said that we were descended from Spanish royalty, from the Dardanelles of Spain. And my brother-in-law went to research it and couldn't find any history of this Dardanelles of Spain. Well, first off, I'm going to guess that not necessarily descended from, but related to, maybe a collateral line or something, right? Mm-hmm. But also, you know, like I grew up with a story uh, telling me that I was related to a guy who was a famous actor over in Ireland. His name was, well, his stage name was Barry Fitzgerald. He did films like Going My Way. Oh, yes. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, okay. So I grew up being told I was related to him. Uh, his real birth name was William Shields, uh, and he did a lot of films in the 40s, like Going My Way and that kind of thing. And my mom was a Shields. And so I grew up my whole life being told I was related to this actor. Well, it was only in the last year or two I was able to figure out that, uh, no, we weren't related to him. But where the story came from is we were related to a playwright who wrote a lot of plays for the Abbey Theater. And that's where Barry Fitzgerald got his start. He was literally, he had a brother who was also an actor. He was just there visiting him and accidentally got shoved on stage during a scene when he was young. (laughs) And uh, apparently just kind of, you know... Went, a lot, went for the ride, and uh, people enjoyed him, and so he wound up becoming an actor, too. But he and this other Shields would have known each other. They they overlapped. He performed in plays. And so you can see where there was reason for the family to make that connection, you know. And it, it didn't take long. And also, I have to say, back in the day, the playwright was more famous than the actor. So it, it, it changes over time, right? He, he wasn't getting Academy Awards yet and that kind of thing. So, yeah. So what I'm saying is your family stories about Disraeli and stuff, I would not be surprised at all to find out that you are indeed related to him, not necessarily descended from him, but he's some sort of cousin, you know. Mm-hmm. But because um, there's, there's often a seed of truth. The trick to genealogy is ferreting out that bit that's true and, and you know, figuring out what the real story is behind it. I'm going to go with that. The <laughs> Claim him, Yeah. <laughs> When you do your celebrity genealogy on television, you've done a lot of big celebrities over the years. How much do you know going in before you get started? Oh, it depends. Usually very little. Um, I'll tell you the trickiest ones to do are like the morning shows because they think the stuff is instant pudding, right? Uh, I'll give you one of the most extreme cases. I had to do Hoda Kotb's roots for one of the morning shows, right? Now, she's born in America to Egyptian immigrant parents. She was born in Oklahoma. And they just expect me to find her roots. Well, Egyptian genealogy isn't, you know, super easy. And I had less than two weeks between when I was supposed to do it and go on air. And this is, in this case, it wound up being a six degrees of separation. Um, I used to be a management consultant, as I mentioned earlier, and I had worked all around the globe. 
And so I wound up calling a friend who had a friend who had a friend. And I wound up just getting in touch with a second cousin of hers over in Egypt. And that's how I managed to start getting information. Because the problem is, you know, all these famous people, they have layers of protection, right? And one of the things I always give them is a form to fill out. Tell me who your parents are, your grandparents. You know, give me some names and dates and places, whatever you remember, even to the closest decade. Just give me some ballpark. But by the time that gets back to you in one of those like morning show scenarios, it's too late. So you have to just start digging on your own. (laughs) So you have to get creative. Talk about your uh, your Barack Obama experience. Oh, that was fun. Um, way back when he was, he wasn't even president yet. It was when he was running for the first time. Uh, and I was just intrigued and I was curious about him. And so I was wondering, okay, if you took his father aside, how far back do you have to go till you find an immigrant in the family, right? And uh, it turned out to be that there was this Irish immigrant. And I was like, huh, you know, I'm half Irish, so I'm always curious about anybody who's got Irish ancestry. Uh, and so I went digging, and um, it's funny. I, I, at the time, I was with Ancestry.com, and so they did a St. Paddy's Day press release going, what do you know? Oh, apostrophe Obama, <laughs> Barack Obama's part, part Irish, right? Well, what happened, I was quoted in it, and I have an unusual name, so I'm easy to find, right? And so the Irish media went nuts going, well, where, where? And that was the tricky part, because a lot of people don't know this, but Irish genealogy, especially famine era, is, is some of the toughest out there. And what broke it for me was a pair of tombstones in Southeast Ohio. If I had not found those tombstones, I might still be looking today to try to find out. It's a town called Monegal, uh, which is where his ancestors came from. But uh, that was kind of dumb luck because I have a lot of people breathing down my neck and, and I needed a break. <laughs> so, Well, a lot of places, people whose, whose ancestors came over from other countries that were not English-speaking countries... How tough is that? Because I know that a lot of names were changed when people got to Ellis oh, yeah. Island or, or Oh, other not places. at Ellis Island. They changed their names themselves. That's one of the big three myths that will make any, any – if you want to get a room full of genealogists to roll their eyes, just say their name, that names were changed at Ellis Island because they weren't. Well, I'm glad I embarrassed myself. <laughs> no, 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 it's not that because it's widely believed. Uh, you know, I always blame the Godfather for that that whole story with the kid with his talent on his. You know, that's not how it happened. They really had people who spoke like seventy different languages there, and they were really just kind of checking records that were originated over in the port of departure, that kind of thing. But what happened is many uh, recent immigrants changed their name shortly after arriving. For obvious reasons, you know, so that they wouldn't be discriminated against. It just made life easier. Who wants to, I mean, I'm surprised I'm still a Smolniak, you know, that that managed to make it several generations to me. Who wants to spend their whole life spelling it, right? So, you know, there's branches of my family that go by Simmons, (laughs) you know. So, yeah, I mean, this is what happens. Um, But you get kind of good at that, you know, figuring it out. Um, You have to be a master of showing the database who's boss when you're dealing with like names from Eastern Europe and Southern Europe, you know, like uh, Greek and Italian names can be challenging too. You have to get really creative with your use of wild cards and all that. And then truncate them, you know, like just put an asterisk at the end because many of them, they took the path of least resistance and just lopped off the last couple of syllables. So there's, there's tricks you get to know over time, just kind of practice, you know, and then there's tools like, 
Um, stevemorse.org is, um, that's a site by a gentleman named Steve Morse, who happens to be brilliant and happens to be an avid genealogist. And he specializes in making existing databases more searchable than they would have been otherwise. And he started with the immigration databases. That was his starting point. So he gives you lots of tools there to find. So there's, there's tricks and tips and tools that you learn over time. Can average people reach out to you, average non-celebrity people, reach out to you to, for your assistance? Like I said, I'm, I'm so fortunate that I have so much work that I don't really have the luxury of doing much individual work. It's kind of the exception. Yeah, I, I, I know I'm very lucky and a lot of genealogists would love to be in my shoes. And there are plenty of genealogists who are waiting out there for the opportunity to, to help people. Uh, let me just uh, mention one website they can check, which is the Association of Professional Genealogists. The website is A. APGEN.org. So, Association of Professional APGEN for Genealogy.org. Well, Megan, is, is there anything about you or your work or genealogy in general that I haven't asked you about that you'd like to tell the listeners? I, no, you know, just I feel crazy lucky that I'm, I'm one of those people that gets to make a living doing what she loves. And every day, like I said, I wake up and I solve mysteries. And it never gets boring. I've been doing it for over 20 years now, and I'm just very fortunate. And um, I welcome any newbies out there who might be listening. More people doing it, the better, because we're all looking for our cousins. So the, just come on in. Since you said that we are all related somehow, I will say goodbye by saying thank you, cousin, for coming on the show. Well, thanks for inviting me, cuz. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed this program, please subscribe and like us on social media and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Life Slices is produced by Beatnik Ravens Productions, all rights reserved. Music courtesy of Fesleyan Studios. 